podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast. A podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for joining us. We've got another great episode for you today. In part one, we'll cover the latest news around Europe and Napoli. Then we'll round up the results in the three major leagues that played midweek. In part two, we'll review Napoli's match on Tuesday against Verona. And in part three, we'll preview Napoli's next match, which is on Sunday, against Spal. So there's only one story in Europe that I want to report on, and that's the situation with sports broadcaster Bean. If you haven't been following this story, on Friday, Bean pulled its Serie A coverage from the 35 territories it broadcasts in, which includes France, Turkey, Australia, New Zealand, and a number of countries in the Middle East and Africa. Bean's official statement was, No Serie A matches are being broadcast on Bean Sports' entire global network. It would not be appropriate to comment further other than to say our legal and public position has been consistent and well documented for three years. This decision was made amidst growing tensions between Bean and Serie A. In 2018, Serie A signed a deal with Saudi Arabia's General Sports Authority to play three of the next five Supercoppa Italiana matches in Saudi Arabia. About a week and a half ago, the World Trade Organization issued a report concluding that Saudi nationals have promoted illegal broadcasts of Saudi pirate network BLTQ, who show BN's images via satellite. This dispute is part of a broader conflict between Qatar, which is where BN is headquartered, and Saudi Arabia, who cut diplomatic ties with Qatar and imposed an economic blockade on Doha over claims the country was too close to Iran. The countries are also about to go to battle over the rights to broadcast German Bundesliga matches. Bien has been in exclusive talks with the Bundesliga to renew its current deal, which ends this summer. Saudi Arabia has inquired about the rights, though Saudi officials claim that the Bundesliga reached out to them, which sounds a little suspicious to me. The Saudi government is also embroiled in a contentious takeover of Premier League club Newcastle United. Bien CEO Youssef Alobadli subsequently sent a letter to the Premier League's chairman condemning the takeover and highlighting the impact that B-Out-Q has had on B-In and on the Premier League. So we'll keep a close eye on this story as it develops. Sticking with broadcasting, the zone has reached an agreement with Serie over payments. Having not made its installment payment in May as Serie remains suspended amid the COVID-19 shutdown, it is understood that the zone will now split the installment in two payments. One will be paid on June 27th and the other on July 20th. IMG, who owns the international rights, is reportedly closing in on a deal with the league as well. Meanwhile, progress with Sky appears stalled. Sky had requested a 15-18% to 18% discount, which to me seems unreasonable since the only way to watch football right now is on TV and the ratings are apparently through the roof. Serie has filed an injunction against Sky and reportedly has given them an ultimatum to pay by July 12th, after which the league will pull the feed, which would be horrible because that would mean that even Italians would not be able to watch Serie Moving on to Napoli, since we're expecting the end of this season to roll right into the start of the next one, there won't be much of a summer training camp. However, the club do still intend to go out of town to prepare for the 2020-2021 campaign, 
and this retreat is likely to be in Castel di Sangro in Abruzzo. In other news, Lorenzo Insigne gifted a new moped to a Napoli fan whose vehicle was stolen during the Coppa Italia celebrations. The fan needed the moped for his work delivering food with Uber Eats. Insigne heard about the story and made sure he received a suitable replacement. In transfer news, Corriere della Mezzogiorno are reporting that Irving Lozano has asked for a transfer. Reportedly, the Mexican asked his agent Mino Raiola to look for a new team for next year. And speaking of transfers, this is a good spot to respond to Eddie's question that we didn't get to last episode. Eddie asked us to look at a couple of hypothetical transfers. Today we'll talk about Leipzig's Patrick Schick. Once again, this is not a player that I know much about, so I reached out to someone who does. Before being loaned to Leipzig, Schick played two seasons with Roma, so I reached out to Steve Scavilla, who is a writer for the excellent Roma site Chiesa di Totti. Steve described Schick's time at Roma as being underwhelming. He said Schick wasn't a regular starter because of Zecco, but he also didn't take his chances when he was given them. Steve also said that he doesn't think Schick is ideal to lead the line and that he fits better as a second striker, which is, by the way, the formation he's had success with this season at Leipzig. Like Roma, Napoli does not play with a two-man front line, so he wouldn't fit in too well unless, of course, Gattuso changes the formation, but I'm not sure Patrick Schick is a player that's worth adjusting your entire formation for. In fact, I'd advise against it because we saw how Napoli played with the 4-4-2 under Ancelotti, and I think the player that suffers the most is Lorenzo Insigne. So thank you, Eddie, for those questions. Next, let's go over this week's major action. I'll cover Serie A in a bit more detail, and then we'll quickly cover England and Spain. So Juventus beat Bologna on Monday, Ronaldo converted a penalty kick and Dybala scored another golazzo. Bernardeschi played really well for Juve, but the Bianconeri generally did not play well. However, they got their points and their closest competition both lost points on a really incredible Wednesday of football. First, Inter drew Sassuolo 3-3 in a crazy back-and-forth match. Late in the half, Inter was awarded a pretty questionable penalty kick, which Lukaku converted. And then in add-in time, Cristiano Biraghi gave Inter the lead. Then in the second half, Sassuolo was awarded a penalty kick, which I think was a makeup call for the poor penalty awarded to Inter. Domenico Berardi managed to get his poorly taken shot past Samir Handanovic. Then Borja Valero gave Inter the lead in the 86th minute. It looked like Kandreva's free kick was going to bend in at the far post anyway, so Valero kind of stole that goal. But at the same time, he did do the right thing. You don't take any chances there. And just when Inter thought they had this match won, Sassuolo leveled in the 89th minute on a goal by Gian Giacomo Magnani. And that's how this one ended. So with the loss, Inter are now 8 points back of Juventus. Immediately after that match, we had the marquee match of the week, which was Atalanta versus Lazio. Lazio came out flying, especially Lazzari, who was the catalyst to Martin Darun's own goal. Only six minutes later, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic doubled Lazio's lead with a screamer from outside of the box. So 11 minutes into the match, Lazio were up 2-0. But this is Atalanta we're talking about, and with their attack, you can never count them out. Atalanta began to take over the match, and in the 38th minute, Robin Gosens pulled one back. Lazio really began to fatigue in the second half, this being their first match back since football resumed. Atalanta played a few days ago, and with the way Gasparini trains his players, they were far more fit. It was only a matter of time before Atalanta drew level. Ruslan Malinovsky unleashed an absolute cannon from outside the box, and for me, his first touch was just as impressive as the shot itself. 
By this point, I think Lazio would have been pretty content with a draw, but they just couldn't hold off La Dea. Palomino headed in on a corner in the 80th minute, and Lazio just had nothing left in the tank. So with Lazio losing, Juve are now 4 points clear of 2nd place. The Atalanta win was also bad news for Roma and to a lesser extent Napoli, who are holding on to hope of qualifying for the Champions League. Roma also played on Wednesday, and this match was really entertaining too, but because it was at the same time as the Atalanta-Lazio match, I don't think too many people watched it live. The match was really open, Roma had plenty of opportunities in the first half, but it was actually Samp that scored first. Manolo Gabbiadini jumped on a wayward pass by Amadou Diawara, who really struggled in this match. Gabbiadini coolly dribbled around Miranda before finishing from a sharp angle. Roma thought they had leveled the score in the 31st minute on a stunning half volley by Jordan Bertou, who's another player linked to Napoli. Calvareza went to the VAR and determined that Carlos Perez handled the ball. This was a really harsh decision. The defender cleared the ball from a few feet away from Perez and his arm was tucked in, but nonetheless the goal was disallowed. Roma did level the score in the second half on another highlight reel goal. Lorenzo Pellegrini played a perfectly weighted chip over the top to Dzeko, and Dzeko did really well to track the ball over his shoulder and smash a volley into the back of the goal from close range. And then Dzeko did it again in the 85th minute, this time volleying the lob pass with his right foot. And full credit to Paolo Fonseca for delivering results amidst all of the off-the-field challenges at Roma with the failed Friedkin sale and with the club's financial troubles. Napoli defeated Verona 2-0, which we'll cover in Part 2, and that Verona loss allowed Parma and Milan to jump over them in the table. Parma smashed Genoa 4-1 on a tripletta from Andreas Cornelius, Kulusevski scored the 4th, and the last time these clubs met, Parma won 5-1 on another hat-trick from Cornelius and another goal from Kulusevski. For the second match in a row, Luigi Seppis stopped a penalty kick, Meanwhile, Milan defeated Lecce by the same scoreline. That was a bit of a sloppy match, but it was Milan's first match since the break. Lecce were unfortunate to lose Lapadula to injury in the first half. And like Fonseca, you really need to give Pioli credit for getting results despite the -the off-the-field drama with Ibrahimovic and the whole Ralph Rangnick situation. Rounding off the week, Brescia stole points from Fiorentina, drawing 1-1. Cagliari defeated Spal 1-0, which we'll cover in Part 3. And Torino defeated Udinese 1-0. I mentioned last episode that if Torino play this way consistently, they will avoid relegation. It was really nice to see Belotti get back on the score sheet because I think he deserved it. Moving on to England, we're recording this pod on Wednesday night, Eastern Standard Time. So only 7 of the 10 match day 31 games have been played. Leicester City drop points drawing Brighton 0-0. That will give Chelsea an opportunity to pull within one point of Leicester for third if they win on Thursday. Unfortunately for Chelsea, they'll have to beat Manchester City to do that. If Chelsea lose, however, then Manchester United, Wolves, and Tottenham will gain ground on the Blues as they all won their matches this week. United defeated Sheffield 3-0, Wolves beat Bournemouth 1-0, and Tottenham defeated West Ham 2-0. At the bottom of the table, Aston Villa picked up an important point drawing Newcastle 1-1. With Bournemouth and West Ham both losing, all three clubs are on 27 points, one point back of 16th place Watford, but Watford are still to play on Thursday against Burnley. To round out the matches, Carlo Ancelotti's Everton defeated last place Norwich 1-0. Since Ancelotti joined on December 22nd, Everton have only lost three matches, and those losses were to City, Arsenal, and Chelsea. Liverpool beat Crystal Palace 4-0, and Arsenal plays Southampton on Thursday. In Spain, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Atletico Madrid all won their matches, so no changes to the top three. 
Fourth place, Sevilla drew Villarreal 2-2, so Real Madrid are now the only perfect team in Spain since football resumed. Fifth place, Hatafe were unable to capitalize on the opportunity as they drew Valladolid 1-1. With Villarreal drawing, Real Sociedad had an opportunity to move back into a Europa League position, but they too were not able to capitalize, losing to Celta Vigo 1-0. Rounding out the matches, Leganes drew Granada 0-0, Osasuna defeated Alaves 1-0, and there are two matches on Thursday, Ibar vs. Valencia and Espanyol versus Real Betis. So that's it for the news. In part two, we'll review Napoli versus Verona. Okay, so let's review Napoli versus Hellas Verona. We're underway at the Bentegodi. It's Hellas Verona against Napoli. Politano with the corner. Milik free header. And it's in the back of the net. I'm not sure if Alan got a touch. Milik is claiming it. Double figures for him now in the league this season. That will do, says Fabrizio Pasqua. Verona had chances, but it's Napoli who go in at the break with the lead, courtesy of Arik Milik's 10th league goal of the season. An entertaining contest at the Bentegodi. Halftime score, Ellis Verona nil, Napoli won. Final checks for Fabrizio Pasqua. We're back underway in Verona. It's that handball from Zaccagni. On he goes. It's his cross. Fabioni is there, and Verona a level. Napoli are desperately asking for a handball but it's Davide Fareoni on the end of the cross I'm sure the video assistant referee Maurizio Mariani will be having a look at this led by Maurizio Mariani here comes the defeat here comes the decision and as you can see the goal has been ruled out Gulan with the corner it's a deep one Lozano attacks it and Napoli have a second and surely have all three points. Irvin Lozano with a point to prove. It's he who makes his mark. And Napoli are going back home with maximum points from the Bentegodi. There goes the full-time whistle. A goal in each half for Napoli. The perfect way to respond and to continue their impressive run after capturing the Coppa Italia Coca-Cola. Another clean sheet for Catuso's side. So as you heard, Napoli won this match 2-0 on goals from Arkadush Milik and Irving Lozano of all people. So let's start with the lineups. Verona made two changes to the lineup that started against Cagliari. They lined up in a 3-4-2-1 formation with Marco Silvestri in goal. No changes to the back line with Rachmani, Kumbula, and Emperor. I was expecting Gunter to start there, but he did not. I was also keeping a close eye on future Napoli defender Amir Rachmani. If you haven't had a chance to listen to our bonus pod with Rick Hoff, definitely check that one out. Rick gave us a great account of what we can expect from Rachmani, and I think we saw a lot of those qualities in him in this match. He's a solid defender, he makes very few mistakes, 
he's massive, yet for a center back, he's also very athletic and mobile. And when Verona fell behind, we saw him getting forward quite a bit and nearly scored in the first half. In the midfield, Miguel Veloso started over Badu, along with Faraoni, Amrabat, and Lazovic. And then up top, Zakani started in place of Borini, who picked up a red card against Cagliari, and he joined Vera and Di Carmina in the trident, with Di Carmina playing striker. Despite playing only three days prior, even Juric waited until the 70th minute to make his first subs, which were Giampaolo Pazzini for Samuel Di Carmina and youngster Eddie Salcedo for Mattia Zaccagni. Juric did use all five of his substitutes, and with each one he bolstered Verona's attack to try to level the scoreline. Mattia Piscina came on for Valerio Vera in the 77th minute, and in the 84th minute, Mariusz Stepinski replaced Sofian Amrabat, and Federico Di Marco replaced Darko Lazovic. Napoli made five changes to the Coppa Italia final squad, most of which we expected. Davido Spina returned to the goal after missing the Coppa Italia final due to suspension. Ospina wasn't tested too much, but was solid when called upon, and there was not much he could do on the disallowed goal. At the back, Elsie Kusai started in place of Mario Rui, which we were a little bit surprised about. And once again, we saw that left back is our biggest liability. I was not impressed with his performance again. Kusai lost his man on the Faraoni goal that was disallowed. And I'm really getting sick and tired of him and his agent Mario Giuffredi constantly changing their position on his future with the club. Before the return to football, Giuffredi told the club Kusai will be leaving at the end of the season. Then after winning the Coppa Italia, they said he'd like to stay. And then recently, he apparently said that he wants to leave again. I think the club should make this decision nice and easy for him and tell him we don't want him back anyway. It was encouraging to see Fauzi Gulam get back on the field. This was his first appearance since October. He came on for Kusai in the 67th minute. I think having Gulam back will certainly help at left back. And once he's back in form, then Kusai can drop to third on the list behind Rui and Gulam. Gulam does have some work to do. In the short time he played, he often seemed out of position. He was also getting up the field quite a bit like a wingback would, when you would have liked to see him stay back to defend the 1-0 lead, especially if he was going to get caught out and rely on Insigne to cover for him. Di Lorenzo, Maximovic, and Koulibaly played in their usual positions. Di Lorenzo and Maximovic both put in strong performances again, and for the third straight match, Koulibaly was exceptional. He's worth every penny De Laurentiis is asking for. He made a slide tackle to dispossess Di Carmina in the opening minutes of the match that was just beautiful, and he could well be one of the best slide tacklers in all of football. He also made a play in the 80th minute where he sent Pazzini flying with a head fake before he calmly received the pass from Fabian, and then turned and played it out wide to Goulam. In the midfield, Alain started over Fabian, which was a little bit surprising. Had it not been for the compressed schedule, I don't think we would have seen this change. Fabian did have that muscle soreness that prevented him from starting the Inter match, so in retrospect, I think this change probably made sense. However, with both Demme and Alain playing in the midfield, the change came at the expense of creativity, which I thought was rather lacking in the first half. Fabian did replace Alain in the 67th minute, though. Zielinski was the third midfielder, and this guy to me is becoming more and more valuable every match. He played the full 90 minutes, and for the third straight match, he ran more than any other player on the pitch in terms of distance covered. Lobotka replaced them in the 72nd minute. I'd really like to see Lobotka play more, and hopefully he does with the compressed schedule, though Gattuso is using Alan quite a bit. We profiled Lobotka back in episode 9, so if you're new to the pod and you want to learn more about him, definitely give that episode a listen. 
Laboca has the potential to be extremely valuable to this club, and there's a reason why we paid more for him than we did for Deme. But he needs to play more to develop better chemistry with his teammates, which is really lacking at the moment. There was a play in the 80th minute where Napoli moved the ball really nicely. Maksimovic found the Insigne, who dropped back and laid the ball off for Lobotka. Lobotka anticipated a run from Mertens, who had come on for Milik in the 72nd minute, but Mertens did not make that run and the ball ended up rolling to Silvestri, though I actually think Lobotka played the right ball here. And though Mertens did not start this match, Napoli wore a special edition jersey that bore a patch commemorating Mertens' goal-scoring record. Up top, Politano started in place of Callejon. I thought he had another good performance. He didn't blow me away, but I do feel like he's been better than Callejon since football returned, and I'll admit he is starting to grow on me a little bit. However, he may actually have some new competition at right wing. Gattuso pulled a quick one on everyone by subbing in Lozano in the 84th minute for Politano. And again, this reminded me of how Gattuso handled the Alan situation earlier in the year, where after kicking the player out of training, Gattuso sits the player, then gives him an opportunity in the following match, and this change was another stroke of genius from Gattuso. I thought Lozano had a huge impact in the short time he played, he was very involved in the match. At the top of the segment, we heard the goal he scored off a corner kick in the 90th minute. The tired Verona defender struggled to deal with his pace. He had another opportunity in added time, and he probably should have finished that one. I don't know what he said to Gattuso after the match, but Gattuso basically told him where to go. Finally, Lorenzo Insigne rounded out the lineup, and he was my man of the match. He's really developed into a great leader for this club. He leads both on and off the pitch. He ran his ass off in this match. Only Zielinski ran more than Insigne did. He had an opportunity in the 81st minute after he sprinted down the left wing before cutting into his preferred right foot. He nearly scored again in the 89th minute, but Silvestri made a nice save, but that corner kick led to the Lozano goal. And again, not to sound like a broken record, but you have to give credit to Gattuso for getting the most out of his players. A few additional points on the match. We knew heading into this match that it would be a tough one for Napoli. Verona have an excellent record at home, even though the match was played behind closed doors, and they're very sound defensively. Verona was 31 degrees Celsius on Tuesday, which for our American listeners is nearly 88 degrees Fahrenheit, and for Napoli this match was a bit of a change of pace. After playing two very defensive matches in the Coppa Italia, this time they were playing against one of the better defensive clubs in the league, and had to play a bit more on the front foot which I thought they did quite well in the opening 20 minutes of the match. They had long spells of possession, they moved the ball well, they pressed high and created turnovers. But just before the cooling break, Napoli's play began to decline. Napoli were very fortunate to not go down a goal after a failed Diego Demme clearance led to a huge opportunity for Verona. But for some reason, Zaccani thought it would be a good idea to chest a shot in front of a wide open goal, and it went over the bar. And at this stage of the match, it really reminded me of some of Napoli's poor results earlier in the year. And I'm thinking of the draw to Torino, the draw to Spal, who Napoli played this week, by the way, the draw to Genoa, the loss to Bologna, and even the losses to Parma and Lecce, which were early in Gattuso's tenure. But this time it was different, which shows that Gattuso has changed the player's mentality. After that Lecce loss, Gattuso talked about how when the players go behind, they really struggle mentally. This time, even though they nearly allowed a goal, they didn't let that get to them. They remained focused. That said, Napoli were really quite fortunate to walk away from this match with three points. 
On Napoli's goal, it appeared that Demet touched the ball last before it went out, so it should have been a goal kick, not a corner. Then, of course, there was the goal overturned by VAR. Now, technically, Fabrizio Pasqua got this decision right. The ball definitely touched the hand. It's just a terrible rule. And then later in the match, there was a possible high boot from Maksimovic on Pazzini in the box. Again, I think Pasqua got the call right, but I've also seen penalties awarded for far less. Even Juric spoke after the match. He talked about how his boys had a splendid match, but they needed to score goals. He also noted that Napoli didn't really have many shots until the end and that his players deserved a better result. In terms of the goals, he mentioned that Napoli shouldn't have been given a corner and that the ball did touch Zakani's hand, but basically said that sometimes that's just how things go. Insigne spoke after the match as well. He talked about how Napoli knew this would be a tough match and that it would be very difficult to win every match, but the dinner united the players and Gattuso has given the players the right grinta or grit. He also spoke highly of Gattuso and acknowledged the contributions of Gulam and Lozano and stated that the only way the club will go far is if everyone contributes. So that concludes my review of Napoli vs Verona. In part 3, we'll preview Napoli vs Spal. Passa scampanianna pattuleta Con mano appa pata fa guarda Tu vuoi fare l'americano, americano, americano Sienta me chi tu fa fa Tu vuoi vivere alla moda Ma se bevi whisky e soda Poto siente disturbato tu a ballo rock e roll, tu gioca a pesa bolla, vei sorta beccamella, chi te li dà la borsetta di mamma tua fa l'americano, americano, americano, ma si nati in Italia, si entra a me non c'è sta niente fa, ok napolitan, tu vuoi fa l'americano, tu vuoi fa l'americano. In the final part of the pod, we'll preview Napoli's upcoming match against Spal. Like with Hellas Verona, the best sample we have for what to expect from Spal is to look to their previous match, which was on Tuesday against Cagliari. This was not a great performance from Spal, and I wish I could say this was just because of the break, but unfortunately there's a reason why this club is second from the bottom of the table and seven points back of safety. They were unorganized, they don't keep their shape, there was one play in the first half where four Spal players went to the same man. The Cagliari player played the ball into a dangerous area in the center of the pitch in Cagliari's half, but because four Spal players were all in the same area, there was no one there to intercept the pass. They don't defend set pieces very well. Cagliari had a free kick in the first half from close to the byline. Spal put up a two-man wall, which should have been plenty, but the wall split on the free kick, and had it not been for an excellent awareness of the keeper Carlo Letica, Cagliari would have gone up 1-0. It's really amazing that Patania has scored 11 goals this season because he gets almost no distribution. When he does get the ball, he plays quite positively. In the first half, Valdifiori played a long ball over the top to Patania, and he just used his big frame to keep Balukowicz off of him. Then he controlled the ball with his chest and laid it off for Strafezza to create one of Spal's best chances of the match. In the second half, he made an excellent switch to the wing, which led to Spal's best chance of the match and also a chance for Patania on the rebound. 
And while Patania should have done better on that chance, this pass demonstrated a few things we said in our player profile on him back on episode 7. First, because of his height, he has excellent vision. And second, for a big man, he has an excellent touch. One thing that is of concern for me, not having watched too many spa matches this season, is that Patania does a lot of walking around the pitch, and we all know how Gattuso feels about that. Back to the match though, Spal did hold Cagliari without a goal for 90 minutes, and had it not been for a big rebound from the Tika, this match would have finished nil-nil. But to me, that actually says more about how terrible Cagliari has been for the last little while than it says about Spal. The last thing I'll say about this match is not really relevant to the preview, but is relevant as far as transfer rumors go, and that's the performance of Nahitan Nandez. He's been linked to Napoli after his agent made comments about how he could handle the pressure at Napoli and that Juntoli's been following him, so I kept an eye on him in this match, and I have to say I was really impressed. I love the way he plays, he's all over the pitch, he plays with intensity and has a very high work rate, which we know Gattuso appreciates, and he is really quick on and off the ball. He made a run down the middle of the pitch and he was pulling away from the players chasing him even though he had the ball at his feet. The one concern I would have about Nandez is the risk of injury because of his size and the intensity that he plays with. He's a little bit reckless and actually went down a couple of times in this match after putting his body in danger. So moving on to Sunday's match, this will be the second meeting of these two clubs of course. In the first meeting, Spal held Napoli to a 1-1 draw at the Stadio Paolo Mazza, which was the first of eight straight matches in which Napoli did not record a win. Just like with Napoli's first win over Hellas Verona, I don't put too much stock into that performance. It was a long time ago, and the squad was very different at the time. With Spal in the position they're in, this could easily be a letdown match for Napoli. Fortunately, both clubs will be on five days rest, so fitness should not really be an issue. However, four days after this match, Napoli play Atalanta, and we know the goal is to qualify for Champions League. Atalanta defeated Latu on Wednesday, so Napoli remained 12 points back of the Bergamesca club. A win would reduce that margin to 9 points with 9 matches to play. I therefore expect Gattuso to rotate his squad quite a bit for this match. So on that note, let's go to our projected starting 11s. Starting with Spal, our best guess is the same starting 11 that featured against Cagliari, lined up in a 4-3-3, though I do expect some changes. Carlo Letica will start his second match of the campaign with Etrit Berisha out with a fractured hand. I think Arkaduj Reka will start at left-back over Jacopo Salla, and he'll be joined by Kevin Bonifazi, Francesco Vicari, and Thiago Sionek at the back. We could also see Igor get the nod over Bonifazi. In the midfield, I think we could see Simone Miziroli start ahead of Marco D'Alessandro, along with Mirko Valdifiori and Lucas Castro. And up top, I don't expect any changes to the front three of Gabriel Strafezza, Andrea Petania, and Mattia Valotti. But Spal do have a number of alternatives, including Nenad Tomovic or even Felipe at center back. In the midfield, we could see Yasmin Kurtic or Alessandro Murja. And up top, alternative options include Alberto Paloski and Sergio Flocari. For Napoli, Gattuso will line up in his usual 4-3-3. I mentioned we could see Gattuso rotate quite a bit for this match, and that idea is further supported by the fact that Dries Mertens, Arkadouj Milik, Kalidou Koulibaly, Piotr Zielinski, and Diego Demme are all on four yellow cards. So that means if any of those players are shown a yellow card in this match, 
they will be suspended for the following match against Atalanta, which is obviously an important one for Napoli's hopes of qualifying for the Champions League. This is an extremely difficult starting 11 to project for that reason, and the fact that this episode is being recorded on Wednesday and the match is not until Sunday, so you never know what could happen between now and then, especially when it comes to injuries, but we'll do our best. Starting in goal, I think Ospina is still Gattuso's preferred starter, but if he plays this match and then the next one, then Ospina will play three matches in 10 days, which I think is far too much, so I suspect Gattuso will start Meret here. At the back, I think Mario Rui will start at left back. With Koulibaly at risk of suspension, I think we might see Luperto play with Maximovic because I don't think Manolas is ready just yet, and Di Lorenzo should be at right back. In the midfield, I think we might see two changes. Diego Demme and Piotr Zielinski have both clocked a ton of minutes in the past few matches, so I expect Lobotka to start for Demme and Elmas to start for Zielinski, and I believe Fabian will be the third midfielder since he did not start against Verona. Up top, I think we'll see Amin Yunus start at left wing so Insigne can have a rest, and I think Merton starts as striker and Callejon on the right wing in what could be his final match for Napoli, though this could also be a nice spot for Lozano. So that's a lot of changes there, so let me quickly run through it again. Meret in goal, Di Lorenzo, Luperto, Maximovic, and Rui at the back, Labotka, Elmas, and Fabian in the middle, and Eunice, Mertens, and Callejon up top. In terms of the betting odds, as of recording, Napoli are sitting at 3.5 to 1 favorites, Spal are 8 to 1 favorites, and the draw is 4.75 to 1. I'll close with my prediction. Having watched Spal play against Cagliari, I really cannot see how this club will score other than from a penalty kick, and in fact, 5 of Patania's 11 goals this year have come from the penalty spot. Now, because of all of that rotation, I think it's going to be difficult for Napoli to find the back of the goal. I have a feeling they're going to have a scoreless first half, and Gattuso will have to bring in some of the regulars into the second half to try to get a goal. And that if Napoli do score, then because they're going to dominate the possession, I imagine they're just going to move the ball around and not let Spal touch the ball. So I'm going to go with a 1-0 win on a goal from Dries Mertens. So that's my preview of Napoli versus Spal. That will also do it for episode 21. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends and give us a 5-star rating and leave a review with your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you have any questions or if you'd like me to cover anything in particular, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti 5, or you can find the podcast at Forza Napoli Pod. You can also find my work on worldfootballindex.com. We'll talk to you later in the week to review Napoli vs. Spal, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Sempre. Sulla guarda, sulla guarda,
Sports Social Podcast Network.